we are leaving some of what we have talked about in theology and practice to go into a very practical section of the book of Romans. But before we leave those 11 chapters, Paul has something very definite to say through the Holy Spirit to us. And I trust that my words will help that to enter your heart. And so let's pray. Father, we know that we are not adequate to preach these two verses today. And so by your power, by your grace and mercy, allow us to hear the word, to receive it with joy, and to make it our own today. Open our hearts that there not be any area of resistance or hiding from you. Speak to us through your word by the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, chapter 12 begins, well, actually begins with a summary of the previous 11 chapters and goes into a very practical Christianity, practical theology, how to live the normal Christian life. And so what we have learned in the 11 chapters so far, the depravity of man, and to what extent God went to reach out to us depraved human beings is played out in the chapters of this book written on Paul's heart and scribed by him to those who were in Rome very much like MCC, an international church for many nations and areas. Paul starts out with, first of all, we need to trust the master. And then he goes to what happens to us on the inside when the word gets into us by transforming our minds. Trusting the master, transforming the mind. We've come to chapter 12, and basically what Paul has done is he summarized 11 chapters in these two verses and sets the tone for the next section of Romans, which is going to be practical Christianity. And it's going to get down to some nitty-gritty. That's a good term, right? I don't know where it came from. It just came to my mind. It means it gets down to brass tacks. <laughs> uh, come on, what is that? Not an idiom. It gets down to business. What? Essentials, fundamentals, the basics. That's what we're talking about. He's actually just finished his basic theology of the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. And from here he applies practical theology. So this is a seminary classroom <laughs> to the normal Christian life of a believer in these remaining chapters. My outline is just very simple. Trusting the master, transforming the mind. Romans 3 23 to 25, you all know by heart, at least the ones who attended here the last 
few months. We memorized this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. Paul has these anchors, rocks, inscribed in his book. This is one of them. Those are essential doctrines. I think the Holy Spirit can use anything, but he uses the Word of God best when it is in our hearts because it comes in with such a force and power that memorizing works out of us into reality. You wonder, why isn't my life going the way it should be? Begin taking in the Word of God. It will begin to come out in your hands, your feet, your words, your thoughts. And God will begin to redeem you to himself. Memorize the Word. Feast on the Word. Bask in the Word. Meditate on the Word. These are things that we need. God's Word in our life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The gospel tells us there is grace. We learned grace with an acronym can be spelled God's riches at Christ's expense. Have you heard that before? We taught it several months ago. It's received by faith. Not just being good 10% of the time, or 1.2% of the time, it isn't dependent on us. It's by faith that we walk as Christians. Romans 6.23. Paul didn't number it, but God designed it, I believe. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Get that word in your heart. Get it firmly there. Particularly when you're praying for someone and you want to know, what what can I share about Jesus? These are good verses to use. And you can just stay right in Romans. Romans 8.1, which we had just not too long ago. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Good words, solid words for us to get our lives wrapped around. All of these verses point to our dependence on Jesus Christ as our Savior, our Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a group of other verses that we need to put into our memory box, into our minds. Memorize these. They're valuable. They're words that you need for your life. Particularly if you're going to walk as a sincere Christian, you need this word. You need this direction. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now let's say this together again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's work on that. Trusting the Master. Paul is, in the first 11 chapters, really calling us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He was asking us that we would understand that he is the Lord of creation. He is the one that made us, and he knows what our needs are. He knows us through and through. He knows how good we are. He knows how bad we are. He knows us through and through. He knows you better than you know yourself. Even while you're sleeping, he knows what you are about. Even while you're talking with your friends or you're enjoying yourself, he knows. He knows. Because he's the God who sees. We can't escape that. He knows every person in the world what they're thinking about. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that is revealed in the, in the scriptures. He knows us. And he loves us in spite of what he knows about us. Are you convinced of that? Paul himself calls himself a bond servant of God in Romans 1.1. 1, 1. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. What is a bond servant? You remember who that was? It was a person who was a slave, and according to Jewish law, he was to be a slave to whoever he was enslaved to for six years. In the seventh year, he was free to go, according to Jewish law. But in those six years, as he was working for this master, if he happened to find a wife like Pac did, well, I really belongs to the master. And so he can't just say, well, my six years are up, and I'm taking her with me. No, according to law, he can't take her or her children. Those belong to the master. Wow. Well, I guess I must... Uh, reconsider this situation. 
Well, there was a, a way in which he could keep both his wife and his children. If he wanted to keep his wife and his children, he could stay at home. He could stay with the master and not leave. But there was one thing that he had to do. He had to get his ear pierced. Now, it's not like the one where they just, you know, and they've got a hole through your ear. I, I have never, never done that. I'm scared of doing that. What they did was the master would take him out in a public place, put his earlobe to a doorpost, and then put an awl through his ear. It must have been very <laughs> dramatic. From then on, you, you could stay with that master, but you had to stay for life. For life. That's what it means to be a bondservant. You're attached to this master for life. And Paul says with pride and dignity, Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus. Incredible. That's what it means to become a Christian. You can't just be a Christian one day and a non-Christian the next. No. You get your ear pierced, so to speak. Paul had made Jesus Lord of his life. Chapter 10, 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, Master, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a two-step formula for becoming a Christian. Very simple, but it'll cost you your life. Paul uses very strong but meaningful words when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Appeal to means to, the word in, in actually in this uh, translation that I'm using, the New King James Version, doesn't say appeal. But I grabbed that out of another translation because I don't think any of you really know what the word beseech means. Have you ever used beseech? I beseech you. I mean, what does it mean? But anyway, there's a bunch of words here that we, we can put in there. It's either to appeal or the actual Greek says to speak into your ear. Well, as I was looking at this, I thought this would be a good illustration. My wife says, yeah, go ahead and do it. <laughs> How many of you are baseball players? What is a first base coach? Okay, let me help you on that. Maybe in Japanese baseball, you don't need a first base coach. But a first base coach, if you, I think they do it in Japan. You look on the, on the baseball field, and someone has just got on first base. And now comes a man from the bullpen, and he stands there next to the man on first base. And he's saying something to him. He's telling him, 
watch this next pitch, and then lead off and go. He's speaking to that runner. Because the runner was a batter, and now he's a baseman, or he's running. And he can't be looking all around. He's watching, watching for what kind of a hit. But his first base coach is saying, okay, okay, he's winding up, go, okay, go. And the guy goes for the second base while the pitch is released. That is what Paul is doing to us. He's speaking in our ear. I appeal to you. He's like a coach. That's what the word of God is for you as you put it into your heart. And you're in a situation that's really tight and you need to know, what does God want me to do right now in this situation? We have the Holy Spirit who's like a first base coach to us, speaking in our ear. That's what Paul is saying here. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren and sisters, you're not of this uh, sisters, it's also for sisters and brethren, but he says brethren, which is brothers. By the mercies of God, the mercies of God are what we need. He uses the word therefore. Therefore is, is a meaningful word that we already talked about many times in Paul's letters where he's laid down a premise or a situation, and then he says, therefore, you do such and such. And you always want to ask, why is the therefore, therefore? Why is it there? Okay? And you have to back up then and find out what he really said to really understand where he's going by the mercies of God. He's speaking. Paul talks a lot about mercy. He talks a lot about grace. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That is uh, interesting terminology. Living sacrifice. Jesus was not a living sacrifice. He was a sacrifice that was killed. Crucified. We are being asked to live the Christian life with our life. Jesus gave his sacrifice by dying. And so, because of that, we can live. We can live in victory and power in our lives. Present your bodies. Remember we had uh, James and others who presented themselves in a salute. That's what we're doing. We're bringing our bodies, not to be killed necessarily, but to die within. Not our will, but his be done. Giving our lives to live for him as living sacrifices unto God. Holy, set apart, not holy as in some mystical, ethereal, imaginary monk or sister in a convent. That's not the kind of holiness he's talking about. What he's talking about is true Christianity out there on the street, there in the factory, there in your office, being knowing that you are 
set apart to be God's person there. You know, you may, and the chances are here in Japan, you may be the only Christian in your office or in your company. Be a living sacrifice. You're set apart. God has set you apart. You are holy to him. It's your reasonable service. The reason why I chose the New King James Version here is because most of the versions, translations, don't use that word, reasonable service. They use the word spiritual service of worship or your spiritual worship. But really, that terminology in the Greek is a rational service. And so when we look at our Christian life, is your Christian life reasonable? What do we mean by reasonable? Well, to the world, it looks irrational. It looks stupid. It looks like it's foolishness to give your life to somebody that lived 2,000 years ago. But if you read the Word of God and you follow through on what the Scriptures teach and how we should walk, how we should live, it makes a lot of sense. It's reasonable. And not only that, the reasonable side of it, it's by the fact that we, we're bond servants. We're slaves. And so, as a slave, we follow our master. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we really want the blessing of God, my wife and my children, getting back to the guy that had his ear pierced, it makes sense. He is my master, and I will follow him. That's reasonable. Christianity is not a made-up religion. Get to transforming the mind. Now we get down to the basics. I was going to say nitty-gritty again, but I sure I just said it. But we're getting down to the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity. None of us, none of us can live the Christian life. I dare you to live the Christian life by yourself. You want to do a test? Okay, I'm going to send out an email tomorrow. And I'm going to say, in the next 24 hours, I want you to live your life the way that you want to. You're going to be in a situation where you will be up against some very tough situations by living on your own. Don't pray. Don't read your Bible. Do what comes naturally. And you'll find that you can't live the Christian life on your own. You need him. You need his word. He is your master. He wants to be in your life, wherever you are. That is what the challenge is for us as believers. Do we believe him or not? Is he reasonable in our lives? Is he practical in our lives? We're getting down to some very, very 
heavy things, I think. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable the perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to the world. Conforming is an outside pressure making you into the shape that the mold is shaped. It may be a piggy bank mold. And so as you are squeezed by this form on the outside, you become a piggy. Maybe you even have a slot on your head. Maybe some of you don't know what a piggy bank is. Anyway, that's what conform means, with a form, and it's forcing itself by pressure, forcing you into that mold. That's what the world does. That's what it does to you. How many agree with that? Is that what the world is doing to you? Is that what's happening to you? No, I can watch anything on the internet and not be conformed. No, that is not true. Not these days. We are so saturated, so much pressure that is on us as human beings that is squeezing and squeezing and squeezing us into its form. And Paul, who knew nothing about modern media, he's saying, don't be conformed to this world. It will form you, guaranteed. You will not be able to live your Christian life without the world conforming you to its forms. But be transformed. Transformed means from the inside out. And so, as the word of God comes into your life and you obey it, you walk in it because it's in your heart and because it's challenging you to look to the master and look to Jesus, to who he is to you, you will be formed into that image. And what image were you made in? Originally, the image of God. But the world has taken you and tried to conform you. But when the Spirit of God comes in, he transforms you so that on the inside, you're not part of the world out there. And so it begins to leak out through your pores, through your mouth, through your eyes, through your ears, so that it's the life of Jesus in you that is living in the office. It's living in that classroom. It is living with your friends and your neighbors. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do not be conformed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot read the Bible and not use your mind. You have to use your mind. It has to come through your eyes, your ears. That's the way we receive the word of God implanted. 
and it renews because that's the nature of Scripture. Prove what the will of God is. As you live your Christian life, you are not proving who you are. You are proving that the Word of God is active and alive in your life. We're not just called to be a secretary or a runner in a marathon or an IT guy or a retired businessman or a retired military man or a housewife. God is calling us to a much higher calling. He's calling us to be doing his will, being a test case wherever you are, proving what the will of God is. In other words, showing the world what the will of God is for this person. And when they see that, they'll hopefully see Jesus proving the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. All those three descriptions there have profound meaning, I believe. When God looked at what he had made, he said, it is good. God will say the same about you. It's good. Walking in his will and purpose, you'll prove it by his speaking to you. That is good. Acceptable. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Have you heard God say that to you? They're precious words. God wants to speak to you. Daughter, son, I'm pleased with you. And it's not just because you yourself are good, but it's because you're his. And he has a relationship with you. I'm pleased with you. Paul was talking about how we get approval from God in the 11 chapters of what he's talking about in Romans. And he finally came to a place of, oh, this wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from it? And he says, but thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving me his life and making me his own. That's what it means to be a Christian and knowing it and knowing God has you where he wants you to be. That's good news. That's the gospel. May the Lord use these simple words that I've just shared to really be a blessing to you. I'm going to read in closing some words that Paul shared with a disciple of his, Titus 3, 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy, through the washing of the new birth and the renewing 
of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's where we are, folks. That's where we are described here. In the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind, when he appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness, not by any good that we could do, but on the basis of his mercy and by the washing, the water of the new birth in our lives. He's made us new in Jesus Christ and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about us walking daily, moment by moment, in the Holy Spirit, in his filling, feeling, sensing, knowing his favor, whom he poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ our Savior. He poured that out on the cross. He gave us this so that we can be brought in through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being justified, standing as his perfect one, cleansed, redeemed, victorious, with confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who redeemed us, justified by his grace. We would be made heirs we would be made in his family to receive from him all that is ours. All that is ours. The slave who had his earlobe put to the doorpost and had it pierced with an awl, a nail, well, what did he actually gain? He gained all permanently for life. He was part of his master's wealth. And he could serve that master and that could be his to enjoy along with his family. That's what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. You're not throwing anything away. You're gaining everything. Praise the Lord. Made us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, thank you for this wonderful promise. We are overwhelmed by the fact that you have promised this to us. And we're just your lowly servants. But thank you for coming and choosing us that we could walk with you and walk in your power and all that you give us that belongs to you. All praise and glory to your name. Amen.